go spread the word. When you get a fresh, hot McCrispy from McDonald's and you can feel the heat coming through the bag, don't try to wait till you get home. Always respect hot chicken. The McCrispy only at McDonald's. Ba da ba ba ba. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over thirty thousand mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over six hundred dollars each week. You can also save up to one dollar off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. From E to Zimbra, this is you talking, talking heads to my talking head. The comprehensive and encyclopedic compendium of all things Talking Heads. This is good rock and roll music. So I get the title right? Yeah, I think the the debate was, is it the, the, the current title, Are You Talking Heads to My Talking Head? Or are you talking? Are are you talking talking? It's not even R. The no. R is not in there in the first place. <laughs> what, oh, it's let, you. It's you. you. Let me look at the logo. What is? What, uh, let me see uh, if I can find a logo you here. You talking talking? You talking? You talking with an apostrophe? You talking talking heads to my, to my talking, talking head. head? That's what it is. You talking okay. talking heads to my talking head? But my uh, your your pitch was my pitch was. You talking talking heads to my head that's talking? <laughs> <laughs> no, thank you. <laughs> Which I I I do not think is better. So yeah. don't look. It's a zero sum game. Both make suck. no mistake. <laughs> <laughs> zero sum is right. Um. Speaking of, why am uh, I yelling? I feel like I, I, I don't know. Usually, you're you, because you're recording in your closet. Usually, you are uh, uh, silent as the grave. You're trying to whisper as to not uh, right. uh, tip your children off as to your abhorrent nature. <laughs> you know what's going on is that uh, recording here in my closet, rather than in the studio when we can hear ourselves in our headphones, mm-hmm. I cannot hear myself in my headphones. So it's just uh, that's why I have one of my headphones sort of off my ear, so I can hear myself. Mm. Do you hear yourself in your headphones, Scott? I have a uh, iPod headphone in in this ear, underneath this pair of headphones, in order to hear myself. Tell me how you do. How do you do that? <sighs> you buy a second. Okay, let's go back to the beginning. The Big Bang. Do you know right. what that is? Uh, well, it's the beginning of. Everything, right? The universe. Everything. Yeah, exactly. A, a, a giant explosion in the universe, which created okay. everything. Um, smash cut to. Sorry, is this an episode of Talking About the Bang? I think it might be. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Talking About the Bang. This is Scott. And this is Scott. And this is just a show where we talk about all things bang. 
whether it be the Big Bang, whether comedy it be the, Bang Bang, comedy Bang Bang, whether it be the Big Bang Theory, whether it be Bang Bang into your heart, whether it be should I get bangs or you know kiss kiss bang bang kiss kiss bang bang oh man what a good movie huh great movie is this i love films i think so hey everyone welcome to i love films this is scott and this is scott and today we're talking about a wonderful wonderful film i believe if i'm not mistaken filmed in the 2000s? Am I right about that, Adam? Yeah, the second renaissance. That's right. Mm, and we're, of course, talking about kiss, kiss, bang, bang. A kiss, kiss, a bang, bang. Kiss, kiss, bang, bang. That's right. That's how you say it. Um, great film. Uh, great film. I've never seen it. Oh, cool. Me neither. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. Good app. Yeah, sure. Have you seen that movie, though? Uh, I have. They haven't, apparently. But uh, No, neither of them had. I'm asking if you have. It's pretty personal. I'd appreciate it if you would... Uh, you know what? You're right. None of my business. None of your business, especially on an episode of Talking About Bang, where... Wait, is this an episode of None of Your Business? <laughs> no, it's not. Okay. That's none of your business. That information, by the way, it may be. It, right. It very but well could be. But it's, it's not my place. It's, this is an episode of Nunya. Right. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Nunya. This is Scott. And this is Scott. And today we're talking about... Uh, it's a subject matter... Yeah. God, how would I describe this? It's kind of Nunya. Honestly, it's Nunya. Right? It's kind of Nunya. Nanya. Hey, Nanya. Hey, Nanya. Nanya, Nanya. Oh, Nanya. 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 Oh, little Nanya! Little oh. Nanya! Come here, little Nanya! Such a cute little Nanya. <laughs> we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. In any case, um, we are talking about Bang. Yeah. And, um, yeah. So, that, uh, the Big Bang, basically, there's a whole theory about it, um, an important event, according to some people. Some people Where think it's. Where would we be without Young Sheldon? Some people think it's total bullshit. Yeah, M- most people, most thinking people, think it's yeah. total bullshit. That's right. Um, they think that basically, uh, uh, <laughs> it's such a strange collection of people who think. I mean, we have an instruction manual for life, just sitting around there, and it's called the Bible. And it tells us how the world was created. So this whole Big Bang Theory, it's like, you know, come on, guys. Check out your Genesis. Check out your Exodus. Check out your Leviticus. That's right. 
Check out your Deuteronomy, first and second. Yeah. We're talking uh, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. Intelligent uh, design. Intelligent, intelligent design. design. Exactly. Thank Remember you. Remember that? Remember when that was the uh, thing they were going to be teaching in schools right alongside evolution? <laughs> right alongside. They were going to they were going to basically have two teachers, one teaching evolution and another one teaching intelligent design right next to each other. At holding the same hands time. at the same time, holding while holding hands at the same. It was going to be confusing. It was I mean. I think that was what the deal breaker was about it was these teachers didn't want to hold hands. I mean, some of them were married. Some of them were in romantic relationships. Some of them Wasn't were abstaining from really, it was inappropriate. And they were both, both teachers would be talking at the same time. And, uh, but they had, they were, they had to scream, uh, yes. everything they said, it had to be a, a full scream. A so it full would have been loud. scream. Why wasn't this scream franchise called full scream or know. full screen? Well, the box set. Uh, of all the Scream films, uh, the Blu-rays, it's, it's called Full it's Scream. Full on Scream. <laughs> yep. Full on Screaming with the Scream Gang. And the tele- there's a television show too, so that's in there too. Oh, that's Full in there, scream. yeah. Also, anytime anyone screams in a movie, you know which movie, by the way, there are tons of screams in? And what? I know this. this is... I know that we're sort of infringing on our sister show, I Love Films, at this point, but I don't think they'll mind. But... Uh, a little movie from, I believe, 1960 with Tony Perkins in it called Psycho. Oh, yeah. I've heard of that movie. Yeah, there's uh, one or two screams in that that are pretty blood-curdling, if I do say so myself. Yeah, I think so. There's there's also, there might be a couple, uh, couple of little pitter-patter screams in a movie I like to call Jaws. The big guy. The super big the guy. The super big guy. Yep. Chaws. 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 Um, all right. We'll see you next time. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Good shit. That was really good. It was uh, longer than uh, than they usually Any do other for talking that about they've ever bang. done. <laughs> yeah. Um, why were we talking about, why, why do we even get in there? Well, I do, I do want to welcome everyone to the show. Uh, this is, uh, oh, that's right. We were talking about the title. You talking, talking heads to my talking head and, um, an abrupt left turn from, from our last episode in the middle of last episode where, uh, well, in the middle of the episode of our sister show, uh, are you talking RHCP re me, um, where we, figured out that uh, perhaps uh, 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 we were not having as much fun uh, doing the RHCP show as as we wanted to be having uh, after our taste uh, was sort of, uh, uh, it was not necessarily tickling our fancy, if you know. Well, I think fun and red hot chili peppers are two things that go together like peanut butter and jelly as far as I'm concerned. They go hand in hand like two teachers teaching about Evolution and intelligent design. That's right. Um, but I think I think maybe those early albums we just weren't as uh, psyched about. I, I maybe one day we'll return because I at least started being a fan uh, later on, and and I I do like them. But at, for the time being, we decided to diverge into the Talking Heads, and it feels yes. like uh, the right uh, 
the right pl- the right place. Have you seen those Divergent films? Oh yeah, that's what I was hoping we would talk about. <laughs> Why don't we do a different show about the Divergent film series? Well, yeah, there is a different show about the Divergent film series. What is that? It's called a uh, different show about the Divergent film series. And is this an episode? Yeah. Hey everyone, welcome to a different show about the Divergent film series. This is Scott. And this is Scott. And we are, look, we have to establish, we are a totally different show. A different show. I mean, not definitely not the same no, 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 no. Show that, that you were just listening to. No, 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 no. This is about the D- Divergent film series, yes, but it is a different show uh, about the Divergent film series. We're talking Divergent. We're talking the Divergent series Insurgent. We're talking the Divergent series Allegiant. These three films are probably the best three films in the Divergent series. Yes, they are by far the only ones but also by far, and this is it's not mutually exclusive, the best ones. Definitely. And we're talking producers Lucy Fisher, Douglas Wick, Poya Shabazian even. We're even talking uh, them. We're talking director Neil Berger of the first Divergent movie, which is the titular Divergent. Neil Berger, who also directed the, the movie where Bradley Cooper takes the pill and he knows everything. I want that pill. Limitless, of course. Uh, give me that pill. By the way, did I ever tell you about Limitless? I've seen it. You don't have to tell me about it. I saw <laughs> okay, that movie. But I, have, but I do have a story about Limitless oh, that okay. I also wanted to tell you after I told you about the, the film Limitless. Um, I, uh, I once rented a house in uh, sort, of, sort of on the West Coast, uh, on the west side of Los Angeles. And uh, uh-huh. I don't want to give too many details about the house, but it was a very interesting house, which I can tell you about offline. But I don't want to point to who this gentleman is uh, unnecessarily and give him any uh, uh, unwanted attention. Oh, I want to know but, everything uh, about what you can't say right now. <laughs> um, and I feel like if I gave you the details of whose house it was, maybe some person who knows this person would would say who it was. But I will say part of the appeal of renting the house supposedly in the ad was that it had a 24-7 caretaker who was always around to chat if you wanted. Is this an attribute? <laughs> That's what we could not figure out. So you know Tall John, of course. Yeah. Um, we were on the very last day, we'd rented it for a week. And the very last day we were in the pool and it was some of our only alone pool time we had, just me and my bro, Tall John. What do you mean alone pool time? Because the caretaker was around so much? No, because, well, because our, our uh, significant others at all. Oh, I see. Okay. Gone off on a hike or something like that. So we were, we were talking, and then within 10 minutes, the caretaker came and got in the pool with us and then talked to us for how no. long would you guess? Oh, an hour? Three hours. <laughs> Why? Oh, God. Why would you stay for three hours? Because I, I have a... A, a thing about seeming rude. Yeah. And so I just didn't want to be like, okay, bro, see ya. So um, it was a but, dude that that was the care, was he just a lonely the, caretaker who bothers everyone that rents the house? I think so. But I will say the Fuck. funniest thing that he said was we were just talking about our lives and he was like, well, 
Yeah, I do. This is my side gig, and I'm actually uh, a writer. And I created the the movie and the TV show Limitless. What? I said, oh, wow, that's so cool. I mean, I really like the movie Limitless. Um, so your name is, you know, on the movie? or did Clearly you not he- believing him right out of the gate if you're asking if his name is on the credits. Well, I think he had a unique name, which I had never heard of. So I think I was trying to suss that out. But I was like, so did you get rewritten? What, uh, or was your name actually on the credits? And he goes, oh, no, 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 no. They ripped me off right. and and made the movie and I'm gonna sue them. So yeah. I got so I got that going for me. So everything's pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's I, I would say, and I'm all for, you know, credit where credit is due. But I would sure, say you gotta put credit where it's due. Absolutely. That's where you put the credit. That's where it belongs. But I would say that you're a few steps away from being able to to tell people I created the movie and the TV show. <laughs> if you're just a lawsuit away from even getting them to pay attention and, to you. And he hadn't even started the lawsuit was the impression right. I got. You right. know, he was like, I'm gonna have a lawsuit, yeah. you know. But I admired the chutzpah of it. Um, it. It reminds me of when I was 13. I was in eighth grade and I used to draw a lot. I don't know if I've ever talked about that on the show, but I used to want to be a cartoonist when mm-hmm. I was uh, in probably like 10 to 14. Mm-hmm. I, I want maybe to have like a daily newspaper strip or something like uh-huh. that. I think we all um, went through that stage. <laughs> but I was, a, I was a pretty good artist and uh, I started wanting to draw comic books. And that all ended when I got into high school and my friend Phil, who had been the best comic book artist in his junior high, and I was uh-huh. the best comic book artist in my junior high. Right. We suddenly came together and were in the same classes, and he was way better than me. Yeah. So I was like, all right, I'm going to quit. And then he went on, and he's one of the most successful comic book artists ever, Phil Jimenez. Shout oh, out to that's Phil. incredible. Uh, drew the X-Men and, uh, and Wonder Woman, wrote, the, wrote Wonder Woman and all sorts of stuff. Wow. In any case, so I wanted to be, a, uh, I wanted to be a, an artist, and so... I remember uh, uh, like Mad or Cracked or one of those, they, they used to have parodies of whatever the popular TV shows were oh, yeah. at the time. They both did, essentially. Yeah. So if it was the A team, it would be like the B team yeah, or something, you know, and then every character would be like Hannibal would be Cannibal or, you know, yep. and it would just make fun of the shows, right? And all the cliches that are on the shows. So I remember, I remember drawing one of these uh, sort of inspired by a a television show at the time. And I remember a friend of mine came over and was like, "Um, wow, that's really good. You know, I have a a cousin or an uncle who works for Mad Magazine, and he would totally buy that. Wow. And I was like, whoa, okay. And you were like 12, 13? 13, yeah. I was like, great. Let me know. Um, he, I go. I go. How much do they usually pay for that? He goes, oh, they pay like one hundred and fifty dollars. Wow. And I was like, okay, great. Let me know. And I went for all year thinking it was going to happen and yep. telling people like, I'm going to oh, be yeah. in Mad Magazine soon. That's right. They're going to buy <laughs> and, my drawings. <laughs> right. And then I also remember that uh, my parents had started giving me. Uh, allowance at the time i think they gave me 75 dollars a month or something uh-huh. like that but i i had to buy all my clothes or whatever i wanted any yeah. move you know anything i wanted to buy 
And I remember them yelling at me for spending all my money on comic books like way too early in the month, like it yeah. was all gone, yeah, you yeah. know, like, like by the fifth or whatever. And in my mind, just thinking like, you guys are going to, I don't care about money. I have $150 yes. coming to me. <laughs> I'm going to wave $150 in your face in a matter of months. And then I remember around the end of my eighth grade year, just me thinking like, Huh, that never happened. Yeah. And he never mentioned it ever again. I feel huh. like my friend might be full of shit. <laughs> or just he thought it was good and then brought it up to someone and his uncle or whatever was like, no. Did you ever get clarity on whether he actually knew someone that worked at Mad Magazine? No. Or? No, I've, you know, there there are several things that I've never gotten clarity about in my life. I think I've talked about them either on this show or another show. And the main two. And that's one of them? The main, well, that's that's the third. The main two are my friend from college who weirdly I was just on a zoom call with and I, I didn't have, I didn't have the stones to bring this up and ask mm -hmm. him for clarity on it. But if a friend of mine from college mentioned that he, uh, the gin blossoms were traveling through his town and the drummer broke his foot that day. And so he stepped in and drummed with them that uh -huh. night. <laughs> he learned all their songs and drummed with them that night. Uh -huh. And I have never believed it. Yeah. <laughs> and so, but I always want to, I, I need to talk to someone in the gin blossoms or. Wait, how long ago did he tell you this? This was, he told me in 1993, it must've been or 94 or something. And ever since then, you've been like, huh. Okay. I've looked for articles. Yeah. Ha have, did the dr drummer of Jim Blossoms ever break his foot? Has he ever talked about it? I've never seen. And you, and you didn't bring it up because you thought it might get weird or you forgot? I, d I just kind of like asked him questions about it, not believing it the whole time, trying to yeah. see if he if there Poke would ever be any it, holes yeah. but but he was committed to it and then and 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 anyone else i talked to about it was like oh yeah that's bullshit but i mean like the other day when you're on a zoom with him you didn't bring did you think of it and didn't bring it up or I, did you, the minute he came on the minute i've thought about this story for for years and the minute he came on i went oh wow i could ask about this story if i had any courage but it it was a Zoom call. It was like a college reunion Zoom uh, call, and it just with like thirty people, and it didn't seem like it was the time to go. Like, hey, were you lying? Yeah. <laughs> you you should email them because I want to know if that's bullshit or yeah. not. Well, here's the other one. The number one that I think that I've always wondered about is um, in 1990. It must have been 92 or 93. I was in Orange County. And um, I remember I would go to video stores and look for like new releases of video, you know, movies and videotapes yeah. and stuff and and constantly buy them. And um, I was always I would always just out of hope look in the Twin Peaks section because yeah. they had released the pilot as a single videotape. And then they'd released, I think, episodes one through eight or two through eight as, mm -hmm. as a box set, but mm -hmm. they'd never released any of the, the second season. Um, and so I would always in kind of in vain, I would go to, to the TV section and look under twin peaks and see if there had been any release or anything. And there never was. But so I was in this, this video store in orange County and I, um, asked the clerk there, Hey, has anything new in twin peaks come up? And the guy looks at me, and he's got kind of like long hair, right? Yeah. In a ponytail. Yeah. And he goes, oh, you like Twin Peaks? Uh, I wrote on Twin Peaks. 
Mm. My name's Harley Payton. And I knew the name Harley Payton from the show, right? So I'm like, holy shit, wow. And I was always, I was in, in my mind, I was like, well, why is he working in a video store? And then I thought, well, of course, I mean, writing TV can't pay the bills all the time, you know, like maybe he's like a Quentin Tarantino kind of guy who works in a video store who also writes, you know? Right. Um, and, but I just don't think it was him in retrospect because Harley Payton is, is on Twitter right now. And I've never written to to him to, to confirm this, but it just doesn't seem like he came from Orange County or ever lived there. Or well, I, did I you know. ever like look him up on Wikipedia or anything? I could right now. I, I did. Yeah. And it never mentions anything about uh, uh, Orange County huh. or anything like that. But let, let's check out Harley Payton here. He went to Harvard and Stanford. Hmm. Does that sound like a guy who's going to be working in a video store? And, and, and he also like, he wrote, an uncredited revision of the Three Musketeers, and that was in that same era. That's in that same era. So why why would he? And he wrote the screenplay to Less Than Zero. Sounds like the guy working at the video store knew a name of someone that wrote on Twin Peaks was really proud of that fact. Figured no one would call right. him on it, and just was bullshitting. I certainly did not call him on it, but I've I I do. Uh, and 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 maybe I should before this comes out uh, uh, reach out and get some some clarity on this. But those were my my number three questions. Well, I mean, there's also my question of like who robbed my condominium that uh, that I lived in uh, right. quite a few years back when I stepped out for an hour, left the door unlocked, uh, and came back. And when I came back, 500 of my DVDs were missing. Ah. Uh. That's a total bummer. And I, I remember I sat down, I turned on the TV and I looked at my shelves and I was like, I did like a quadruple take and I was like, what the, did I take these down? What did I put these at? What happened? And just realizing someone had come in and just ripped me off. I always, I, I figured it was my across the hall neighbor, but uh, I've never got confirmation on it. Because back then you could just take DVDs and bring them to Amoeba and get some quick cash. But I also, she was nuts, so I don't think that 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 she did anything with them. I remember Kulop knocked on her door to let her know that someone had come in and, and yeah. robbed me. And the first thing she said was, do you want to check my apartment? There's nothing here. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so I'm pretty sure it was her. She was missing half of her brain, she told me the first day I met her. Um, <laughs> okay, from- <laughs> okay. Well, listen. <laughs> Either she was missing half of her brain or she thought she was missing half of her brain. Either way, uh, I, I feel the story, all, it all kind of makes sense. Can I, you know, I have one thing, only one thing yeah. in my life that is 100% unexplainable that I've never been able to piece together. And I don't believe in ghosts or any sort of supernatural anything at all. But this right. is the you one thing. You don't even believe, you don't believe in heaven or souls. I don't believe in heaven or souls, or I don't even believe in uh, in the souls that are on shoes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you're, I've always noticed you sort of, you sort of Flintstones it. That's right. You have bare feet under those. Bare, very calloused feet. When I was like 12 or 13, same age, my friends and I were walking around at night because we had nothing to do and didn't know anyone who drove a car. You know, it's that age before you're friends with people who drive or whatever. And sure. how how deep in, in the night is this? Is this like... I mean, it's probably like eight or nine o'clock 
uh, okay. out in Capitola, which is like a section of Santa Cruz because I was spending the night at my friend's house. Anyway, my friend, my friend's brother and I were just walking around in Capitola. And we had, no. I think between the three of us, we had like $4 or something. Mm, that's not bad for back then. Not bad. There's a drive-in movie theater, right? The Skyview Drive-In. And we're walking by and we're like, I wonder if they would let us in and we could just go sit and watch a movie, like, because there's like a swing set there or something. Like, I wonder if we could just go and sit down. So we are walking towards the entrance and we're like, we only have $4 between us. I don't know how much it costs. And on the ground, there's a manila envelope, but it's (laughs) a a manila envelope in the shape and size of like cash, like those ones they you actually put cash in and give to people. Meaning rectangular or? Rectangular. <laughs> a small rectangular. <laughs> no, but it, it, it's like. A, Unlike other envelopes, this was rectangular. No, but it, it, it's in the, it's for the purpose of putting money in. It's one of those. Okay. Okay. Sure. And I go, what if there was the exact amount of money in this envelope that we would need to get in there? Again, not knowing how much it would cost anything. And we're like, that right. would be amazing. I pick it up. I open it. We all look into it. And it's empty. Okay. Like, oh, whatever. We throw it back on the ground, walk up to the entrance where cars are going in and out and <laughs> ask the guy who's just like, these dumb little kids are trying. He's like, between the, th- for the three of you, you need $11. Get okay. out of here. I'm busy. Whatever. And we're like, oh, so you need seven, you need seven more dollars. Need seven more dollars. Okay. We are walking back out like shit. What are we going to do for the rest of the night until 10 when we have to be back, whatever it was. And we come across that manila envelope again. And I say to the other two guys, what if we open that envelope now? And there is $7 in there. (laughs) And they were like, okay, yeah, whatever. I go, I grab it. I open it. There is $7. What? In the envelope. The hell? That That's the craziest story I maybe ever heard. Happened. I mean, the cra- the craziest part to me is that movie tickets at this drive-in cost $3.66 a piece. Well, <laughs> the drive-in was super cheap. Do you remember? Did you ever? Well, sure, but it's just such a weird price. Well, it was like- $3.66 a person? It was like $10 a car or something, and he was just like cutting us a deal, whatever it was. I By don't making you the pay exact. one more dollar? <laughs> I don't I don't remember the price structure. <laughs> All I know is when we opened that, it was the exact amount we needed and that, that thing is was so empty. crazy. Th- this sounds like a like a magic envelope like like the magic box and lock in Lost or something where yeah. like you could ask for anything from it and it would appear in there. That's right. And did you did you keep the envelope? No, I I took the money out of it and threw the envelope on back onto the driveway. <laughs> um and we didn't even go back into the drive-in. We just went and spent the money on, like, I don't know, candy or something. <laughs> Meaning... Uh, if you had $11, crack. you'd rather spend it on crack. <laughs> uh, Amazing. That is that a weird? crazy story. I wonder if these other two guys, the Keetle brothers, uh, would remember this story as well. I, I, it, it seemed... How could you ever forget something like that? I know. Um, and you know, you know what I can't forget is the one time i went to a drive-thru and i saw the movie divergent all right we'll see you next time bye bye wow interesting app that was a long 
uh, episode. Long, but and not very informational about the Divergent film series, other than casually mentioning the producers at one point. No, I think there's one plenty, writer. plenty of info in there, Scott. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Well, speaking of info, I need to give some info about this show. Um, I, I hate to go so long without having introduced ourselves, but uh, my name is Scott Ackerman. I am the, the uh, host of Comedy Bang Bang, uh, director of the Between Two Ferns movie, other things. Adam uh, almost needs no introduction, but I'll let him uh, introduce himself. Go ahead. Hi, guys. My name's Adam. Um, I hail, uh, which means I come from uh, Northern California. It's where I grew up. Uh, I'm down here in Southern California now pursuing a career in show business. Um, I have a family. I have a house. Very lucky. Uh, and I use Kleenex uh, from time to time, uh, just like sure. anyone. What do you What do you use Kleenex on? Well, depends. Like if there's, uh, you know what? L- lately, if there's gunk in my dog's eye, I'll grab a Kleenex and I'll try and get oh, it out. Oh, yeah, that's prime Kleenex usage, yeah. right there. But it's not limited to that. I use it for all kinds of stuff. Oh, okay, but w- would you say ninety ninety five percent of the time it's to take gunk out of your dog's eye? Well, yeah. I mean, I think that's mostly what Kleenex is meant for. So that's mainly what I use it for. It's the eye gunk cleaner uh, kind of subset brand of Kleenex that they that they put out there. Did you know that Kleenex, Kleenex originally was called gunk out? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. that's right. Um, but then they thought, you know what? Everyone, when they're talking about tissues, it says grab a Kleenex. I forget what the term for that is, where a product name becomes the, the accepted name of something well it's um, called gunk out because the kleenex was the first one so it's just called right uh, because it's a gunk out everyone was saying like oh grab a kleenex grab a kleenex and they're like this is a golden opportunity yeah we should we just call it. ourselves kleenex we gotta yeah. do that yeah q-tip is another one of those yeah I, what is the term that's gonna bug me so i'm gonna look it up do you mind if uh, i'm gonna q-tip that, that right out of right out of uh, my hair that sort of thing i'm looking up kleenex and q-tip eponym eponym that is list what it of, is. Wait, let's look at the list of brands that own the market. Uh, other eponyms are Band-Aid, Coke. Coke, Escalator. Yeah. Escalator is an eponym. Escalator. FedEx. That's a, br- that's a brand name. Yeah, apparently. Google. Because uh, Ask Google, Jeeves is so pissed off about Google. Jeep, obviously. Jeep, by the way, was a Popeye term, I believe. They called it a Jeep because... Uh, that was a character in Popeye. I'm going to look up that. This is a. I mean, you're learning a lot on this. It says uh, there that Netflix is owns the the term for DVDs by mail. <laughs> so that website is <laughs> is uh, brand new. Jeep and uh, it's not on their their Wikipedia page, but let me look up Jeep and Popeye. Okay, and let's see what comes up. Jeep and Popeye. Here we go. Eugene the Jeep was a character in the Popeye comic strip. This is weird. And this is a weird one. And uh, I believe the makers of Jeep called it that because of Popeye, but there's nothing on Eugene the Jeep's Wikipedia page either. But I'm uh, I'm fairly certain that uh, maybe th- maybe some money changed hands of like, hey, let's never talk about Popeye's connection to Jeep. Yeah, probably. Also, saltines. You were saltines, right about Polaroid. Q-tip. Q-tip right there uh, with a bullet. Rollerblade. That's uh, 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 of course another eponym. Taser. TiVo. TiVo not uh, as popular. TiVo really went for it. Oh yeah. For a minute, TiVo was going to be the eponym of all eponyms. 
but then people just said DVR. Like, I feel like the DVR market just really pushed for people to stop saying TiVo. I feel like people still say TiVo sometimes, though. Sometimes. Did, did you ever sign up for the TiVo lifetime service? God, I don't know. What was that? Was it like 400 bucks or something? I think it was only like um, around what I would have been paid for Mad Magazine back in the day, 150 or so. <laughs> but because um, it was like a monthly service. But you didn't have to pay for TiVo. You just It was just a recorder you that you bought. No, you did. You had to buy the recorder and then hook it up to the internet. And to use it, you had to pay like a monthly service or you could pay the uh, lifetime service. No. And I, Sorry, go ahead. No? No, no, go, no go, I'm go. wrong or no, you never did? No, I, I'm just thinking of the very first TiVo I had was not internet. Uh, it, it, you did not hook it up to the internet. You just hooked the little uh, IVR tabs up to your cable box and it would turn the channels for you and record whatever it was. Do you remember that look TiVo? At TiVo is still charging, by the way, $15 a month, a one-year commitment. For what? Or for what? That's the thing. You get you you get TiVo, like every cable company or direct TV gives you a free TiVo now. It gives you a free DVR. Oh, it says TiVo targets cord cutters with a DVR. So they must be providing coverage? Providing Who knows? TiVo, you got a bad business plan. Although if you wanted to sponsor this show, I would heartily endorse you. Absolutely. I, I didn't even know they still existed. Did you cut your yeah. cut cord yet? Cut cut the no, old I've, cord. I've I've not cut the cord. Um, I have cut the cheese occasionally. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I I don't know what you mean, but what what does that mean? How did that ever start? Cut like, the, cheese? the cheese. I don't know, but I Let's still look love that it. up. I I realize that this has become the uh, the I, looking stuff up on Wikipedia show, but it. I still love cut the cheese. Why though. do they call it that? The, the idiom references the foul smell emitted by some cheeses. That's uh, exactly what I thought it would have been. Many of which have a rind that keep the odor in, and then once the rind is pierced, a.k.a. cut, as in the case of slicing it, the smell is released. Oh, and we have the pronunciation of cutting the cheese. Should I play that clip here? From Yeah. <laughs> cut the cheese. Wait, what? <laughs> play that again. Cut the cheese. <laughs> <laughs> Wait a second. Guy. Wait a An second. English guy doing it is the can, best. Can we can we add another <laughs> pronunciation to Wikipedia? Because I feel like that we should just add one that's just <laughs> <laughs> totally because that's anyone can edit Wikipedia, so we should. Let's we should add, add our own. Yeah, let's do it. Cut the cheese. <laughs> Cut the cheese. <laughs> I feel like who, who did that they guy get to do this. That guy was actually talking about cutting some cheese. He was not referring <laughs> to a fart. Oh, what if they hired that guy to do it? <laughs> but then, as a verb, it says, "Hey, who cut the cheese?" Yeah, use it in a sentence. Hey, who cut the cheese? <laughs> <laughs> wow. Ah, oh, so not good. Bad. So good. Not bad. Um. All right. Well, we're going to be talking about more songs about buildings and food today. This is exciting. Talking Heads' second album. We're going to be talking about it, but we do need to take a break. When we come back, we will be talking about more songs about building and food. We'll be right back with you talking, talking heads to my talking head. 
Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. Go spread the word. When you get a fresh, hot McCrispie from McDonald's and you can feel the heat coming through the bag, don't try to wait till you get home. Always respect hot chicken. The McCrispie, only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. We are back. You talking, talking heads to my talking head. We're going to be talking about more songs about buildings and food today. But before the break, Adam Scott um, and I were talking about Mad Magazine. And Adam, you mentioned you went to uh, to the offices of Mad Magazine with all the usual. What is it? The all of the, the usual, usual gang of idiots. Oh, right. Yeah. Um, yeah. When I was, I believe, like 11 years old, I took my first trip to New York with my dad and stepmom and did you go to uh, the statue. We did not go to the statue of Liberty. We went and saw a Broadway show though. We went and saw little shop of horrors. Wow. Or with, it, with the yeah. original, the original cast. I don't think so. I feel because I think I had already seen the movie. So it was like a revival. Well, um, the movie came out in 87. If I had to guess, I would, yeah, I was going to say 86, I feel like this is 80, this is probably 84, 85 since I was like 11. 86, you're, yeah, December 19 of 86 is when it came out. Huh, and, so maybe and, this was before that. Yeah, maybe. So you were 11, that. what year were you 11 in? 84. So yeah, this is probably like one of the original, this may be the, uh, 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 well, <laughs> off off Broadway was the the 1982. Yeah, it was after production. that. So it would have been somewhere in the 80, 84. You say 84, 85. Okay. Well, anyway. They, uh, oh, okay. You uh, you probably saw Claire Moore, who replaced uh, Ellen Green. Ellen Green. And you probably man, Ellen You probably great. saw uh, Zeta Messiah, who took over as Chiffon in 1984 as well. Yeah, probably. Probably. Oh, we also saw Dames at Sea, uh, which my uncle Roger Morgan did the lighting design for. My uh, step-uncle, oh, wow. Roger Morgan, who's great. Anyway, we were in New York, and um, I, in, I, I, the whole time uh, uh, before we left for New York, I had looked, you know, at the front page of, of Mad Magazine, like the masthead, way down at the bottom in f- tiny print, says it it shows the address an address for the oh yeah for the magazine so they they had that on like dc comics which was on that's 666 right. broadway or something like that and so i always thought oh how cool it would be to go to new york and just go to the office that's right so my dad and i i just wrote down that address that's in mad magazine and we went to the office on what uh just a like a slip of paper what do you mean by a slip of paper uh like a I don't know, how do I explain it? Uh, you you know paper, right? Just like regular 
dime store. Everybody paper. knows paper, of course, comes from trees. Yep. If you please. Regular tree paper. I grabbed a oh, piece okay. of that that was probably like eight by 10 feet. Uh, did you get it from the tree itself? Or? I got it. We had a tree in the backyard that we would shed paper uh, off mm. of. Super thick uh, paper. Um, so I wrote it on that. Anyway, we went to the Madison Avenue and just sort of went up to the 18th floor or whatever it was and knocked on the door of this office. <laughs> and my dad the whole time was like, this is probably, this is probably just going to be, you know, just some like receiving mail receiving room or something. He just thought it would be like, yeah, a post office box or yeah. something like that. And we go in and they're like, Hey, how you doing? And William Gaines, you know, the like, yeah, big dude, the big bearded guy. Yeah. Uh, they brought us around to all the artists and writers rooms. And I got to go into William Gaines office and meet him. And they were all Whoa. so cool. Um, I think Al Jaffe was there. Oh, Don, Don Martin was not there. That's who I was like most excited for. But what about Sergio Aragones? No, he was not there. By the way, we have so many Sergio Aragones books here. Because uh, you can find them on eBay and they're all like out of print, but they're like two bucks and they're all worn out, but they're all there. All those little paperbacks. Yeah. Well, wow, he wasn't cool. there either, but there, it was awesome. And they and they let me take as many mad magazines as I wanted from around the world and all these different languages. So I just filled my backpack with uh, Whoa. with all these. Uh, it was the coolest. What, was there anything that was previously in your backpack that you had to throw away in order to make room for? Let's see. What did I have in there? I had a lunchbox, of course, because I was in New York. Oh, of course. Um, sure. <laughs> and then I had a sushi making, just one of those bamboo uh, oh, things yeah, you yeah. roll. To roll up the rolls. Yeah. That's right. So I had three of those because uh, it was sure. New York. Um, I had to throw those in the garbage. Um, mm. and, then, and then just like a really small but very, very uh, heavy uh, glass bottle collection uh, that I would carry Whoa. around with me because it was in New York. Um, sure. Oh, you were in New York. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So I had to throw sense. that yeah, out. Yeah. And and then just a pistol. Oh, yeah. Because I was I in mean, New York. I mean, back then, in those days, you could take anything on a plane you wanted. Could take it on the plane. Everyone in New York had a pistol uh, that they would just have in their hand and they would walk around with them. When you uh, took a plane ride back then, everyone would have a gun in the cabin. And just be like shooting them off, yeah, various times. Especially in w when I was that age, I was going through a, a stage where I, I always, always carried a piece. Sure, a sidearm, a sidearm yeah. back then. Yeah. That's right. Um, that's an incredible story. Did they mention that this would happen all the time, or were they or did they? I remember them saying every once in a while a kid shows up with his dad or mom, <laughs> and <laughs> and. Uh, and, but it doesn't happen all the time or anything, and they're always really happy to have them. And it was that awesome. must be amazing. I mean, I, I, I uh, please don't ever come by the Earwolf Studios, but but if I were making Mad Magazine and trapped in an office and doing, I mean, doing a creative job, that's fun. But you're in a New York office all day. Yeah, Dude, how fun would it be to have a little kid who like idolizes what you do come by the office yeah. one day? Amazing. Also, we took a trip to L.A. when I was like. 10 or something and i had i remember i freeze framed freeze a, frame a tv show and, <laughs> and, and, and got the address of 
Paramount Studios, and we went, or it was free Arsenio Hall show, so it must have been later. But I freeze framed the end of the show and got the address of Paramount and made my dad drive there, thinking I would just pull up to like a house and Arsenio Hall would be there and I could go talk to him. But it was we pulled up and it was just giant, you know, studio. Was there a dog pound there or? <laughs> I did. I did get to go in the studio audience of Arsenio Hall a few years later when I moved here. Really? Yeah. Oh, that's incredible. And I was, I was not in the dog pound, but I did give the, give him a couple of those. the finger. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck you, man. I went to. I think uh, my friend was directing the Bill Maher. Uh, what's the show he does now? Real time. Mm-hmm. And I went and was in the studio audience in that and was embarrassed because they they made us uh, give him a standing ovation. They like came out to coach the audience yeah, beforehand, like, yeah. you all love Bill and want to give him a standing ovation, don't yeah. you? And so uh, there there must be an episode out there where I can be seen in like a crane shot giving Bill Maher a standing ovation. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, is that the show he's doing now? That Or was it like yeah. politically incorrect? Remember that one? No, I th- it was, it's the show he's doing. He's been doing it for a while, I think. Um, and I remember it was right above The Price is Right. It was over there in yeah. CBS Television City. It was right above The Price is Right. And my friend took me down there to uh, spin the wheel. After oh, the yeah. I sat in the audience of Price is Right once. Did you, uh, uh, were you hoping stage? to get called? No. no, I was not. So Kulap and I, when we first started going out, her and her three roommates, we were all going to go to Price is Right. And I had a different friend who worked as a page at the Price is Right. And she said, okay, I can't like tell them to bring you up on stage to be a contestant. But what I can do is give you tips on why they... Why the types of people that yeah. they will call because they go around interviewing everyone in line before yeah. they get in. They go, first of all, look, look the people right in the eye when they're talking to you. Seem excited to be there, but not insane. <laughs> okay. But because they said when the adrenaline comes in, if you're already like insanely excited, it doesn't It's going to get really weird on TV. Yeah. But if you're just like seem like a regular person and yeah. seem you know fine, then uh, the adrenaline will like push you up to kind of insane looking levels, you know. Yeah. Um, and so we we were gonna get up. I remember I remember reading about how how early you had to get there, right? Yeah. Because it says eight eight a.m. taping, and I remember reading like you got to get there at five in the morning oh, in order to, to get in, right? Christ. So we all... Um, so even though you had a uh, friend that was a page, you still had to do all this shit? Yes. Ugh. So we went and made t-shirts um, for Cool Op and her three roommates that said uh, Barker's Beauty in Training, um, and they were all matching t-shirts. <laughs> Jesus we were like, Christ. One of us is going to get called yeah, up, yeah, right? Yeah. So... Did you wear one of those? No, I, f- I think I had something, but I can't remember what it was, but it obviously wasn't that. So we set the alarm... For like 4.30 or whatever. Ugh. Slept through it. Woke up at like 6.15, yeah. I think. Yeah. <laughs> and and then went down to the studio, got there by 6.45. Had to wake up all the other roommates like, hey, we overslept, we overslept. Yeah. Got there at 6.45 or 7 and they were like, no, no, everyone's already in. <laughs> Are you kidding? Get it. Yeah. <laughs> so we never we never got in. Oh my God. I remember standing in line for a long time and I was kind of embarrassed because I was an uh, actor already, but I was just doing like guest spots and stuff. And 
You're yeah. not supposed to do it if you're in show business because they ask you what you do for a living. And I was right. like, uh, I work at a dry cleaner's. Uh, <laughs> as if I had some big career that that they would uh, that would be right check up on this, but I was like embarrassed, and I didn't know, I didn't have any connection or anything. So we did have to stand in line for like two hours because it was my girlfriend's mom wanted to go or some some I don't know. Mm. It was was uh, it fun though? It was fine. I, I don't really remember that much, but I also was I was in the audience on uh, for the Dennis Miller show. Do you remember that his first talk? Oh show. yeah. Is this the HBO one or? Oh no, that's right. This is this was the syndicated one that was on, I believe, KTLA out here. Yeah, that's right. And uh, I really, I remember really wanting to enjoy it a lot because I was yeah. a big Dennis Miller fan. Yeah, me too. Yeah, and R.I.P. <laughs> his his comedy career. I mean, yes, 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 yes. yes. Uh, Not him. He's still with us. He. Um, I remember Cowboy Junkies were on the episode I saw, and I yelled during a moment of silence that in the Cowboy Junkies song, because I thought the song was over. And I just went, uh, yeah. And then the <laughs> song kept going and you could totally hear it. And after the after they finished, Dennis Miller gave me a bunch of shit. And that was like- He like pointed you out? Oh, totally. Just, like talk, oh wow. He pointed me out and, but they didn't turn around and get the audience. Uh, but he was- it made it to air him like giving me shit, but they didn't like show. And I remember I wished that they would, because I wore an turn the camera shirt and I wanted to be on camera. <laughs> um, is is that on your reel right now? Tell me the truth. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> God, I wonder if that's uh, on YouTube or I'm sure it's not. Oh yeah, look up Cowboy Junkies Dennis, Dennis Miller. Or just look up Dennis Miller Junkie. Okay, let's see what we got. <laughs> Yeah, if that's up there. Actually, I'll I'll look it up because uh, we can't hear it if you just play it. But um, Cowboy Junkies Dennis Miller Show. Here we go. Video, Concrete Blonde and the Cowboy Junkies in 94. Is that it? Or Concrete Blonde? No. Cowboy, Cowboy, no. Eh, uh, eh, eh. It would have been probably 92. 92. Or 93. Says. Anniversary from the album. Oh, this is uh, Cowboy Junkies. This is Jay Leno, obviously, not uh, Dennis Miller. Uh, the poor man's Dennis Miller, as we used to call Jay Leno. <laughs> really? Um, Concrete Blonde Joey. Oh, no, you're not talking about Concrete Blonde. You're talking about Cowboy Junkies. Cowboy Junkies. And uh, at this, as of press time, I cannot find this video, but. Uh, uh, Sounds like a wonderful television program that I would like to see if I ever had the opportunity. But today is not for talking about Dennis Miller nor the Cowboy Junkies. It is for talking about talking heads to our talking heads. Is that right, Adam? That is correct. And we are talking about a certain talking heads album called More Songs About Buildings and Food. Buildings and Food. Wow. Wow. And food. 1978 is when this album came out. This is, of course, the uh, follow-up to 77, which we talked about last uh, episode. And uh, let's give a little bit of background on this this album. What do you say, chum? Sure. Uh, okay, so their first album, we were talking last time how it had the uh, producer who was John Bon Jovi's uncle. Now, a, a little tidbit that I found out 
uh, in between our last episode when I wasn't prepared and now is that they intentionally, uh, we talked about how he's sort of a disco producer. Right. Um, they The record label intentionally gave uh, or sort of forced Talking Heads to work with him because they wanted him to sort of make them sound not as right, weird. like more poppy or whatever. As they normally do. Yeah, so um, for this record, they were able to ditch that thinking and instead, and boy, here's a character we haven't talked about in a good long while, but they get old oh, sourpuss. Oh, of yeah. course. Of course he has to show no. his face again. Of course, he's got to pop up like a bad penny. Um, we're talking about Brian Eno, Mr. Sourpuss. Uh, sorry, we talked about him sorry, a lot Scott. On... I just have to interrupt you for a second. I, I'm, I can't let that slide by. I, I know it's just an expression, but as far as I'm concerned, there are no uh, bad pennies. That's true. I mean, wait, is this? I forget what talking our about money show was. <laughs> no, it's not talking about money. Although that's a great show. But there was something about coins <laughs> two episodes ago that I can't remember. <laughs> I don't even remember that. I don't even remember, but it is not an episode nope. of that because uh, it, were it to be, I would remember it. Um, so yeah, Brian Eno, uh, we talked about him a lot on our U2 show, so uh, we can talk about him here. By the way, uh, Great Coins was, <laughs> I'm being told, was, was our <laughs> Great show. Great Coins? Great Coins. <laughs> Jesus. Ah, oh, fuck it. Let's sure. just do it. Hey everyone, welcome to Great Coins. This is, this is Scott. Scott. <laughs> and we're look, we're talking about Great Coins. Listen, there are so and many. On our last episode, we admitted that we hated coins, but then suddenly Scott over here brought one up and I knew we had to do an episode. Yeah. The little one cent coin himself with Mr. Stinkin' Lincoln on it. We're talking about the penny. Stinky Linky. Good old Linky Stinky. Um, Yes, that's right. One of those rare human beings to be shot while watching a play. Listen, there's, there's, it's the simplicity of the penny that I and I always. You know, if you know me, you know that I take issue with anyone who's talk smack about the penny. That's right. It is worth one one cent. uh, One one hundredth of a dollar. That's right. You get a hundred of them. You got yourself a dollar. Okay, with a dollar, look, and that's legal. That's legal tender. That is legal American tender. US Anyone has tender. to accept that. You bring a penny into the U.S. Treasury, knock on the door, Washington <laughs> D.C., hand them a penny. They'll be like, "All right, come on in. It's Get a penny. in here, bro." Yeah, and you got yourself a job running the U.S. Treasury. That's right. Um, are they square? A penny? Yeah. Well. That's a really, uh, really good question. I would need to, I don't have one in front of me, so uh, Mm. I don't know. I guess we're going to have to wait till next episode to answer that question because I, I, unfortunately, I don't have, I have a quarter here. Uh, Is that square? Well, let me take a look. Um, hmm. No, it's not square uh, exactly, but in certain light, maybe you could say it's, uh, it's square-ish, but uh, for now, I'm just going to say it's not. Uh, but as far as a penny goes, I have no idea. thought it was a penny, but it's not. <laughs> <laughs> That's <a> gross. Quarter. <laughs> All right, we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. 
shit. I never yeah, thought yeah, they'd yeah. come back again after that last episode when they admitted they hated coins. Yeah, you would you would think that's kind of a uh, deal breaker. Yeah, right you can't you can't continue the show after that. But. <laughs> sure, um, a lot like our uh, sister show. Are you talking RHCP or me? Um, right. It'll be back. It'll be back. Uh, so Brian Eno, uh, we talked about him a lot during our U two show, but uh, let's recap if people have just joined us. Uh, he, of course, was uh, this English dude. He still is an English dude, as far as I'm concerned. Who. Uh, Met Roxy Music's Andy McKay on the subway station at a subway station, and and they, I don't know, they decided to jump Brian Eno into the band, even though he couldn't play an instrument. Uh, he joins Roxy Music, where he doesn't even play on stage with them for most of it. Uh, when they play live, he just like sits off, like in the back of the house, sort of like with telling them what they're doing wrong. <laughs> yeah. He's like messing around with tape recorders and like, quote, treating, unquote, their sounds, which who knows what that means. Um, but basically just scowling at them the entire performance. And then at a certain point, he realizes in the middle of a, a Roxy Music gig that he's thinking about how he's going to do his laundry the next day. And he realizes that he needs to quit the band <laughs> two records into Roxy Music. Wait, and he's what? so bo- He's so bored. That he can't even focus on playing the gig. He's just like mentally checked out and thinking about doing his laundry. So he quits the band the next day. Was Brian Ferry like, oh, well, fuck you. <laughs> your laundry? I mean, your laundry. Your la- Look, Eno, I'll sing about laundry if that's going to keep you yeah, in here. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, w- good God. <laughs> um, I guess he had been having some disagreements with Brian Ferry as well. So he just was like... Uh, uh, you know, according, bro. according to your friend, Dennis Miller, I am out of here. And he scribbled yeah. on a bunch of papers and he and just shot it off into the, <laughs> into the ether. So that was in the early seventies. Uh, we pick up the story with talking heads. Uh, this album came out in 1978 and basically like Brian, Eno, old sourpuss, he comes out, he has a solo career. He has four really good records, uh, which are sort of glam, uh, records. And yeah, those are terrific. He uh, also starts producing with David Bowie, where he does the uh, uh, Berlin triptych. Mm-hmm. Um, and at this point, he's done low already. In the same year, I think, he's done low. Uh, he's, he also does, uh, he produces Devo's Are We Not Men uh, this year as well. And Pretty incredible. Gets, pretty incredible. How he gets uh, uh, intertwined with Talking Heads. Now, there are a couple of stories that I've read. One, uh, and the, the one that's more commonly accepted, is that uh, Talking Heads, to promote 77, they were on tour with the Ramones, and where they were opening for the Ramones, and they right. were in England, and uh, the Ramones were getting really sick of Talking Heads because <laughs> <laughs> they, they, Talking Heads were just playing uh, James Brown in the van constantly and the Ramones didn't like that because they liked like surf music and girl groups like the chiffons and everything and talking heads wanted to play James Brown constantly. And so they were getting, getting very upset. They didn't like this European tour. Um, they hated the food. They wanted to find a McDonald's and 
They do a oh gig. Oh my god! I, how great would it be to be a fly on the wall in that van with the Ramones and Talking Heads, <laughs> like hating each other? <laughs> like I don't just know getting they hated not getting each other as much as they were like, yeah, they were just like they were waspy, annoyed. passive aggressive annoyance. Yes, exactly. So they go to England, and this is according to one story. And they do a gig, and and old sourpuss is there, uh, presumably arms folded the entire time, shaking his head no. Uh, directly at the stage, um, which endears him to to uh, uh, Mr. Burns, the uh, our our lead singer, Mr. Burns. Right. Excellent. Brian Eno is here. Um. So, uh, Brian Eno asks Talking Heads to come back to his flat, as they call it. In, oh yeah. Uh, in England, which is look, it's just a fancy way of saying apartment. Yeah, but I love it. I love hearing the word flat. Why do they even call it a flat though? It's like. Because all sense. apartments in England are round, so you, you would think they would call it a round. Uh, they call it a sphere, at the very least. Yeah, exactly. Like a biosphere. <laughs> Good movie. Yep. This is not I Love Films, though. This is definitely no, not no, I Love no, Films. No, 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 no. But at some point, we have to talk about biosphere. <laughs> so that's one version of the story that it happened in England. The other version I read is that Andy Warhol was a big fan of Talking Heads in the early days. Um, so much so that he, he, and I haven't been able to track this down, but he's, he even recorded a commercial for this album, more songs about buildings and food. Um, Hmm. and he told Brian Eno when Brian Eno was over in New York, Hey, you got to go check out talking heads at CBGB's. Um, Brian Eno went to the gig supposedly, um, really loved it. Came backstage. John Cale from the velvet underground also was there at this gig saw old sourpuss talking to talking heads, talking to their talking heads, and was like, hey, hey, dude, 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 get away from them. I want to produce them. I want to produce them. But old sourpuss fucking got it done, and he landed the gig. So he he, uh, invites talking heads back to either his flat or his apartment, depending on which country they're in. To his sphere. To his sphere. And sphere of music. And, uh... He is just like playing records, getting to know him, and he puts on a uh, an album by Fela Kuti, um, and basically, I, I saw an interview with Brian Eno where he was talking about Fela Kuti and and talking about how in the mid seventies, I think, he would just go into record stores and say, "Give me something that I've never heard of, hmm. like just like give me music that uh, that's totally unlike any music I know." And he saw this Fela Kuti album and with a bunch of musicians on the back and was like, oh, <laughs> this interview, he's like, I wondered what this group of musicians would make. So I bought the album. <laughs> <laughs> Exciting story from Old Sourpuss. Wow. That is such uh, a Sourpuss story. So uh, he plays the Fela Kuti album to, to uh, Talking Heads and he says, this is the future of music. And... Uh, David Byrne, at the very least, like goes wild for it and loves it. We'll we'll talk more about Fela Kuti on a a, a different episode because it plays more into Talking Heads history. But that's how Brian Eno got to know them, and uh, he decided to work with them. And here's here's like a really strange fact: before he decided to work with them, he's putting the finishing touches on his album Before and After Science, which came out in 1977, the the year of our previous right. episode. 
he puts out a song called King's Lead Hat. Now, King's Lead Hat, if you have a mind like mine, you immediately see that and say, oh, well, that's obviously an anagram for talking heads. Oh, right. Because you tell me any combination of words and I can tell you what the anagram is. Really? Yeah. Seriously? Yeah, anything. Okay. Printed ceramic mug. Printed ceramic mug. I would say probably recriminated. Yes. That's really, that's pretty incredible. Thanks. I mean, it's just something I can do pretty easy. Yeah, I mean, you did that really fast. Um, blame game. Just below, you sounded yeah. like you were going to continue. I was going to, and then I stopped. Well, uh, the the largest word you can create out of it would be either embalm or emblem or That's beetle. Right. Wow. Um, that leaves a few of the letters off, but uh, yeah. So okay, yeah, how I about don't know. how about fart source? Fart source. Well. Um, fractures, definitely. Yeah, fractures. Which is ironic, considering that when a fart comes out of your fart source, it fractures your butt sometimes. <laughs> every time. <laughs> sometimes, every time. <laughs> Don't threaten me with a good time. Um, so, uh, yeah, anyway, he, he puts out this uh, song, King's Lead Hat, which, let's hear a little bit of it. Uh, it's sort of his tribute to talking heads i guess because it to him it sounds like a talking head song so uh let's hear this is king's lead hat What do we think? And that sounds pretty rad to me. It does sound like a, a definite nod towards a, towards Talking Heads. He's sort of yelping around like in a David Byrne impression, sort of. Um, anyway, the remix of that became a single. Remix not commercially available on CD, I will say. Hmm. Um, but uh, uh, so Brian Eno and David, uh, Mr. Burns, Old and old sourpuss, they hit it off really well and decide to work together. One thing I wanted to mention, by the way, because I read a lot of uh, uh, reviews that of of this album, uh, like from Rolling Stone, when the album came out, and everyone brings up the word preppy, which is something that I don't think we really talked about last episode, which is interesting. Okay, so the band's look, right? So when you're talking 1977, 78. Rock bands generally look a couple of different ways. They look like the fucking Eagles, <laughs> who I don't like to talk about, as well you know, with their fucking long feathered hair and their big ass beards and their jeans tight around their butts 
and flared out around their ankles. Their jeans tied around their butts? Tight around their butts. Oh. And they have, sometimes they have jeans tied around their butts, sort of like how you take a jean jacket and you tie it around your waist yeah, sometimes. But they, they would jeans. take another pair of jeans tied around their Tied butt. around your butt. This actually is not a bad idea and perhaps a fashion uh, a choice for the future, um, especially during quarantine times. Anyone could do it. Um, send us your pictures of your jeans tied around your butt. Um, but you also could look like uh, like disco was sort of uh, starting around this time. So, you know, but it's basically the 70s. Everyone just looks like, you know, a cokehead or a scumbag, right? That's right. So, but then you have talking heads and they are all wearing IZOD shirts. Right. Lacoste shirts. They have very short hair. Um, they, and they all, uh, it's kind of like one of the first norm core bands, you know what yes. I mean? Like they're, they're trying to look as normal as possible. And, uh, you know, David, uh, Mr. Burns, he, he like is always wearing button up shirts with the uh, button all the way up to the top. And it kind of reminds me of like vampire weekend when we talked to Ezra about his, his, yeah, uh, dress sure. code in the early years, like what he would or wouldn't allow people to wear. Yeah. Um, so it, it was a very striking look for a band to come out and essentially, it's like Weezer also in a way. Yes. Like, like just looking like normal nerds. David, Bur- uh, Mr. Burns looking like, um, you know, a, a skinny weirdo. And I guess in concert sticking his neck out a lot and emphasizing like how skinny he was and how long his neck was. Um, so that was another the the visual style of the band was something that was was very striking at the time, which we didn't bring up last time. Yeah, <laughs> that's all you have to add is yeah. Well, yeah, and and you know as I mean you can hear it here, but as the as time goes on, you can definitely hear uh, Vampire Weekend in, in Talking Heads. You can hear a lot of influence there. I don't think is, we ever asked Ezra if. Uh, talking Heads were a big influence on him, but I, I would imagine uh, they had to be. Yeah. And we should have Ezra back on for, I'm sure he would be into Talking Heads, right? Talking about Talking Heads to our Talking Head. That's right. Um, so anyway, that is the background. They, they uh, Old Sourpuss took the band to uh, Jamaica, I believe, to record this. And uh, they recorded all the... Uh, basic tracks in about five days and then took like months and months for all the overdubs and all the old sourpuss adding is like, I think this should sound with more echo. I think you're doing this wrong. (laughs) So that is the background for the album. Um, And did they end up recording quite a bit at this studio in the Bahamas? It was the Bahamas. Yes. Uh, I mean, like I say, they did they did the basic tracks in five days and then s- spent a long time. There. No, I know. I, I mean, like future records. I think they ended oh, up. Oh, maybe. Yeah. Maybe. And you know what? Another album that was recorded at this same studio. Hit me with it, baby. The infamous Around the Sun from R.E.M. Oh, interesting. That's I would right. say uh, if, if you had to put them side by side, much like two teachers, Holding hands, I would say that this is the better album to come out. I would agree with you. Whoa! All right, well, we're going to be talking about this album. We're going to go through track by track when we come back. We do need to take a break, though. When we come back, we are going to be talking about more songs about buildings and food. We'll be right back with more You Talkin' Talkin' Heads to My Talkin' Head after this. 
go spread the word. When you get a fresh, hot McCrispie from McDonald's and you can feel the heat coming through the bag, don't try to wait till you get home. Always respect hot chicken. The McCrispie, only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome back. You talking talking heads to my talking head? And we're talking about more songs about buildings and food today. We're going to be going through track by track. Adam, there is one thing that uh, I wanted to talk about, which was the title. Um, because there, there's a lot of uh, uh, differing opinions on who gave Mr. Burns the title, More Songs About Buildings and Food. Tina Verymouth, she says that she came up with it. Uh-huh. Um, I read one account that Chris Farts says that he came up with it. (laughs) (laughs) But then um, Andy Partridge from XTC claims that he gave it to Mr. Burns. And Mr. Burns received it and said, yes, excellent. A wonderful title. How weird. Um, And and that's in uh, the Wikipedia and the footnote uh, uh, link goes to a tweet that has been deleted by Andy Partridge. So I don't know whether he recants that now, but I read it in more than one place that Andy Partridge says that he gave that to Mr. Burns. So there How we go. strange. You would think that something like that would would have one, one person kind of narrative that everyone could sort of gather well, around. Well, you know, it, that it happens with artistic ideas. Like take, for instance, the Comedy Bang Bang TV show. Um, anytime anyone brings up a sketch... Um, you know, I'll say, oh, I wrote that. And then our writers, you know, might disagree or whatever, but, uh, usually I'm the one being interviewed. So, and not them. That's why you don't interview writers. You know what I mean? Is because, right. Yeah. So, uh, I wrote everything. I know that, uh, you mentioned this on the last, uh, the first episode of the show, but, um, I read an article over the weekend about how Chris farts is coming out (laughs) with his, memoir yes, it's out when people are listening to this it'll be out uh, oh we have right not, okay we have not received it yet so but by our next episode i plan to have read it and so we'll have i am so uh, excited about that we'll have a little more background at least from chris farts's point of view and perhaps <laughs> tina Verymouth's point of view george harrison from the beatles there's a lot written about him it's He's crazy the, it's crazy that there's so much written about george harrison's career but it all focuses on beatles stuff i know because it's just I was thinking about that too. Like George Harrison was in the Beatles, and then he traveling Wilburys, then traveling obviously. Wilburys, and then straight to Talking Heads. It's straight just to a, Talking Heads. It's crazy. Oh, by the way, I had speaking of traveling Wilburys. This crazy. I don't think I told you about this thing that happened like a year ago when I was. Um, Were you asked to be in the the traveling, the traveling Wilburys? Wilburys. I was promoting uh, Big Little Lies and I was doing uh, Colbert, right? And, you know, when you're doing a a talk show, you try and come up with stories and bits or whatever that you can do to fill the time on the on the talk show. Right. So I'm trying to think of stuff to to talk about. And I come up with this idea of of comparing Big Little Lies with saying that, like, Big Little Lies is the traveling Wilburys of TV shows. <laughs> because and, it has so many, like, Yeah, iconic... so many, like, superstars. And 
comparing each traveling Wilbury with one of the female stars of so Nicole Kidman who who is that I is did that? I had it all lined up it was on uh, uh Reese was Tom Petty Nicole was Dylan um, maybe wait or Harrison I would say Dylan or Harrison Nicole Kidman was George Harrison I think yeah from talking um about Meryl Streep was Bob Dylan she's Dylan she's obviously Dylan yeah um Laura Dern was Roy Orbison because Roy Orbison was the one that everyone in the Traveling Wilburys looked was like, up to. Yeah, they're like, can you believe we're fucking in a band with Roy Orbison? And Laura and, Dern is such a great actress. That yes, like, they and love her. totally. And uh, yeah, George Harrison was Nicole Kidman because Nicole Kidman was in Days of Thunder. I think that was my reasoning. Mm-hmm. And and. Uh, Shailene and Zoe Kravitz were both Jeff Lynn because they he was share like, Jeff Lynn. He was like the secret weapon that w- might be, you know, s- s- the, the best more, one or whatever yeah, it was. Better than all the rest, perhaps, and perhaps the most right. uh, r- responsible for the success of the group. Yeah. So I had this all mapped out and I and I pitched it to the Colbert show and they loved it. And, they, and I and I asked them if they if they could even mock up like. The, yeah, their faces on the, the on bodies. the album cover, right? Oh, okay. Yeah. And so they did that, and so I go on Colbert, and we run out of time. And at the end, of, but I'm so preoccupied with it because I'm trying to memorize like what each one was and not right. forget. And so f- the Should whole interview, the <laughs> the whole interview, I'm like preoccupied with this, and then we run out of time. And so afterwards, he's like. Oh man! So next time we'll get to this, and he pulls up. He had the album cover there with all the ladies' right. faces. Like, so a couple months later, I'm doing uh, Corden, and I'm like, "Oh shit! I can do the Traveling Wilburys thing on on Corden." And so go through the whole thing. I pitch it, and then they mock up the album cover. So I'm <laughs> on Corden, and he's like, "Okay, so you have this Traveling Wilburys thing," and I'm on there with Mindy Kaling too. She's the other guest, and you're all on together. I'm like, "Oh yeah." Uh, so traveling well, and I kind of launch into this thing and right away, right away, it's abundantly clear that no one in the audience <laughs> knows who the traveling Wilburys are. They just don't. This is just, more of a Colbert bit. Right. Exactly. <laughs> His audience would love this. Yeah, exactly. So I go through the whole thing and it takes so fucking long. Like it uh, feels like it's like an hour, but once you start. You can't. Yeah, you can't just abandon it and say like, uh, right. "There's no Jeff Lynn." Right. So Mindy's kind of politely smiling through the whole thing. James is kind of looking at me like, "Dude, shut the fuck yeah. up, you dumb <laughs> shit." The whole, I have to get through the whole thing. You so get dumb the- shit. Get in my car and sing karaoke. Right. So I get through the whole thing, and it's not great. And the audience. It was politely chuckling. I had to stop and explain who the traveling Wilburys are. It was was terrible. So after the show, we asked them, like, can you just not put that in the show? Because I was doing Conan like a week later, and I'm like, this This is perfect for Conan. This will be better on Conan. So they, I, I don't think it took much convincing for them to cut it out of their show. You said, would you please? And they said, done. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> They're like, we had already done that. So <laughs> they don't use it. I go to Conan. Same thing. They v- generously mock up the album cover for me. <laughs> so you have three of these three album of covers. At this point. So I go on Conan. Which one was the best mock-up, by the way? If uh, you were... I think Colbert, it, 
from what I remember, it was the actual like record that right, they had right. with them. Okay. But but they were all uh, wonderfully uh, similarly ill conceived and one hundred percent my idea. So I go on Conan, and you know halfway through the interview or whatever, Conan's like, "So what's this about?" You know uh, the traveling Wilburys, and <laughs> and I launch into it, and it goes way worse than no! it did on <laughs> on 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 uh, on uh, Corden. On they Corden. all have such similar names. It's hard. I know. To, Corden Conan. Come on, guys. So immediately, right when I start, it's it is silent, Ugh. right? Because when it really comes down to it, the audiences for these things are all kind of the same. It's yeah, just they're tourists. all like rando tourists who are like, they're TV waiting show? out in the sun and they don't remember yeah. the traveling Wilbur. And it's not like the traveling Wilburys. People in the sun don't remember traveling Wilburys. No, the sun sucks the Wilburys. They're a moon band. But it's not like the Wilburys have been kept afloat culturally. It is only <laughs> people like 40 and up who even remember. I mean, remember you got Jenny Lewis doing a cover of Handle with Care 12 years ago. Right. Yeah, exactly. So. Boy, it started so long you had to take a sip of water just to get through uh, it. Coffee uh, to keep myself awake. <laughs> so I start and it's even quieter. And I make a joke about if you're not 2000 years old, you don't know the traveling Wilburys. And I start going into this and it's 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 like the audience is way less polite than it's eating something that ate shit than Corden. Yeah, it it's awful. And I stop and and make a joke about how terrible this bit is. And Conan and Andy are like laughing along with me at how shitty it is. And we make bits about how bad it is. But I do go through the whole thing and it's awful. And I was really like embarrassed and felt badly that Conan was like letting me do this bit. Because usually I bring bits on or I try to bring bits on. And sometimes they're they're always better than that or had always been better than that. Anyway, we get done with it and I ask them ask the second producer if they would please not uh, air that. And he was like, yeah, we're already there. Don't worry about it. <laughs> so there we is... We talked to Corden's people already. <laughs> there is... St- yeah, exactly. There is still the lost uh, Big Little Lies traveling Wilburys bit that has yet to... You got it. So you got to swing back around and do this on Colbert. <laughs> I know. And, I really do. And then tell this story that you just told on Corden and Conan. Oh, man. And you know what? After the Conan bit, I realized, like, it's it it it's not funny. It's not culturally relevant, obviously. And that's part of what was maybe going to be funny about it. But it was so culturally irrelevant that people just didn't know what I was talking about. But I think also, here, here's how I would here's how I would punch it up. Instead of putting them all on one album cover together, you want to see them one at a time. You want to see essentially like if you're saying. Meryl Streep is Dylan. You want to you want to say that, and then up comes a picture of Bob Dylan wearing his like flat hat or whatever his bolo hat with yeah. the beard, and then put Meryl Streep's face onto his face, and do that one at a time, yeah. and you'll get five laughs. See, that's what I what, what I should because rather than having them mock up a thing and then them just like and then you just explain for a long time. Yeah. Yes, exactly. I should have had a card with a famous photo of each of them. Yes. With, and they yes. get more ridiculous and and then you split Zoe Kravitz and the other person in half when that's it comes right. to Jeff Lynn. But, but the put thing the Jeff is, Lynn beard on both. The fatal flaw in the entire thing is that my the entire premise 
the comedy premise was based on everyone knowing exactly who the traveling Wilburys were and how funny it was. The each kind of comparison wasn't even that funny. It was all depending on how funny it is to compare these iconic actresses with traveling Wilburys, but no one knows who the traveling Wilburys were, at least in these audiences. So there was no way, no matter how many pictures I had, it was going to work. But it, but you're right. If I had just kind of shifted the premise, it would have, I think the fatal flaw here is, is that you have a bad brain. Yeah. That it was just terrible to begin with. And I tried it three times. (laughs) You never learned your fuck. Like, did they, did Colbert really run out of time? Exactly. For that bit, you know, or is he, or is he actually being way kinder to you than Corden and Conan is? Exactly. Did he know like, not only do I, Conan, God guys, come on, cut it out. Not only do I barely find this funny, my audience is really not going to think this is funny. (laughs) Well, I think it's a good uh, story for this show, and especially germane to the Talking Heads, because George Harrison is a full-fledged member ever since 1977. That's right. George Harrison, it's, it's just three bands, Beatles, three ba- three Traveling iconic Wilburys, bands. Talking Heads. I mean, Paul McCartney, he could only stomach two iconic bands, Yeah, the Jets and uh, whatever, uh, the Beatles. He w- The Jets, though, had a, a lot of hits. Traveling Wilburys had like one hit. Sure. But a solid. We we should do a show about that uh, that album because of that the Jets the well sure we should do something about the Jets as well. Um, but uh, uh, why were we talking about this? Because we were talking about George Harrison. In any case, yes. Uh, the more songs ti- about buildings and food. The the title of the record is uh, "More Songs About Buildings and Food," which is a funny play on the fact that the previous record seventy seven. Um, the subject matter of all of the songs had to do sort of with uh, unexpected subject matter that songs normally didn't talk about. Yeah. So um, also we should mention the cover of this record is really good. It's uh, probably, if I had to guess, it's it's 250 to 500 Polaroids, uh, individual Polaroids that they put together into a, a collage of the band, which is really cool. Um, oh, 529, right there. They're all dressed in cool, like, normcore clothes. Yeah, they're all just wearing, like... I mean, George Harrison is wearing jeans. That's as rock and roll as it gets with them. The others are wearing, like, khakis. Um, so this was released in 1978 in... Uh, uh, what's funny is Wikipedia doesn't even know. They're like, ah! Oh, no, 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 they do. July 14, 1978. So... Um, I was looking at the recorded date. Um, no, released in July, July 14, 1978, approximately... Almost exactly uh, how long ago? Approximately 201 uh, years and 10 days after the Declaration of Independence was signed. That's right. That's that's the kind of marker and time you use for everything, right? Sure, <laughs> definitely, yes. Um, so you, you want to, uh, Brian, you know, old sourpuss produces, adds a lot of, uh, clicks and whistles to it. Do you want to go through this thing? What do yeah, you say? it's so good. All right, here we go. This is the first song. This is thank you for sending me an angel. You're welcome.
what do we think, Adam? I mean, the the one bummer about doing Talking Heads is I feel like more often than not, I'm just going to be like, You're gonna I like love it. this. Um, I think it's interesting. It's it's sort of a bridge from the previous album to this. There's not a lot of in- additional instrumentation that Old Sourpuss adds. It's kind of a little more of the classic sound of the previous album, which is... For sure. And um, the album slowly sort of... Gets weirder and weirder yeah, as it goes yeah, along. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. But this is uh, this is definitely one of the good good songs on the record, and um, those the interplay between George Harrison's guitar work and uh, Mr. Burns with his rhythm guitar. Yep. Uh, but and also then, uh, listen to Chris Farts on these drums. Yeah, he's. I turned badass. it up when he wasn't playing. And this song is sort of about love. There's a, a lot little. of like relationship drama on this record well or like from a distance from a distance here's the thing is is there are a few songs on on this record which are about the subject matter of love which i would say is the most common subject matter uh in in music not only rock and roll and i think mr burns coming from his art school background and also chris farts he went to art school and uh uh, tina Tina Waymouth. she wait what uh, what what's her name again very mouth very mouth. Like way, very, very mouth. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Sorry. Um, so uh, uh, they all went to art school. So I think that they're approaching, in in this early record, they're approaching the subject matter of love uh, and trying to do a twist on it and trying to do something different. And so- and, More and from a scientific point of scien- view or anthropological yeah. almost. Uh, and so Mr. Burns with his lyrics, um, he seems to be more- uh, on that song, sort of examining a, a relationship and, and pointing out kind of the flaws to it, as far as I'm concerned. You can walk, you can uh, talk just like me. Like, uh, I don't know. To me, it's always been something about like couples who get together and start acting like each other. That's right. And there's a lot of like, you're a girl, I'm a boy, this is what we do on this album. On this album, yeah. yeah. Um, it's funny because this is one of those songs where I'm so used to the version on Stop My Stop Making Sense and even on the Apple Music of, uh, of, which of song? this song. Oh. Um uh it wasn't on the original Stop Making Sense uh but it's in the movie? It's in the movie and then it's on the like special edition of the album that came out ten years ago or whatever. But right. um uh, but even on Apple Music, if you play this song on this album, they play the Stop Making Sense version. And so you have to go back to the non-special edition of Buildings and Food to get the album version really? of this song. See, yeah, this it's is weird. Why, this is why your insistence on streaming all of your music is makes insanity no to me. Yeah, it makes it makes less than no sense. Less than that penny that we were talking about earlier on our system. But I feel show. like even if I download it from Apple Music, it's still going to download the wrong version yeah for that's whatever. because you, you do you mean downloading from itunes no it'll download the right version on itunes well apple music and itunes are the same thing they're not anyway you're just exhausted oh my god you right. th- they're the same thing uh should we listen to the stop making sense version just to see no. how different it is we're gonna do a stop making sense episode oh okay you sounds good shit. yeah no let's let's not paint outside the lines here <laughs> All right, let's do track two. This is With Our Love. With our love. 
Listen to the two guitars. The two separate, playing two separate things. It's so good. It's fucking rad. It's just a look. Tina Verymouth is a star on this album too. This she, her bass lines are so good on this record. And they forgot what this all means. I think what to forget. And they hope that this time, this time I won't I've got other things to do now. I forgot what it was. So we're hearing uh, a lot more of Old Sourpuss's influence on this song. There's a lot more, especially if you listen to it with headphones on, there's a lot more like, you know, sounds happening in the background yes. and clicks and the instruments are, are treated a little differently. It's um, a deeper sound. It kind of yeah, this goes is, it, further back. It's interesting. When this record came out, um, it seemed like a step forward sonically to people yeah. where people were sort of like, Oh, you're no longer kind of a television clone. Uh, you've pumped up the dance yeah. uh, element to it, the rhythm element to it, and then you've added all these interesting sounds with, with Old Sourpuss, so it, it, it got them taken seriously a little more than the previous record, which to some people sounded a little too akin to the uh, punk scene of CBGBs, yeah. a little too much like television. Yeah, they were kind of carving out their own space here. That said, not my favorite song. I like it. Not my favorite on the record, but I, I like it. That's one that I have a hard time have a hard time enjoying. I don't know uh -huh. why. Like I appreciate it every time I hear, but uh, I, I will say with this record, let's uh, uh, just so you know the prism that I'm listening to it through. Um, so a lot of bands when they put out their second record. This is usually what happens. They put all, they stack all of their best songs on their first record because it might be the only only one that they ever get to put out, right? Right. And then they've had you know five years or six years or whatever to write all those songs. It's all the and best tour songs them and written. get them perfect and yeah. And then they have like three months to write the second album yeah. and record it. And they usually what usually happens is the second record is a collection of not as good songs and songs that they just wrote like that day yeah. or whatever. So yeah. it's uh, the sophomore slump usually refers to that where the second record is kind of a disappointment. What's interesting about this this album is I sort of feel that way about some of the songs. Uh-huh. I sort of feel like the songwriting isn't as good as the first record, but sonically it's better. So hmm. any case, in any case that is uh, sort of uh the how I'm listening to this. It's um, interesting cuz I since I got into them with Stop Making Sense, I went back and discovered these and kind of discovered particularly these first two around the same time so i feel like they're of the same era even though they're i mean they are of the same they're era but i feel like are, yeah they're only a uh, year apart but yeah but as one rather than as you, two you view them records. as like a, a a complete body of work where it's interesting reading about it how much of of just kind of not a left turn this was but 
it was received as like, oh, okay, we can take these guys seriously now yeah. because they're they've expanded their sound a little bit. And that does make sense because it does sound a lot better. Right. All right, let's hear track three. This is The Good Thing. talk about this song while it plays in the background because i love the end of it by the way so i want to hear the end when it comes up but uh, this is from an interview with mr burns in the av club where he kind of talks about how he wrote this song he says uh sometimes he would write songs based on an instruction he'd given himself like a point of view um this was an attempt by him to write a song that sounds like a bad english translation of a red chinese anthem <laughs> Um, sometimes he would get pamphlets like Mao in Art and Literature, and they had this weird filtered language that I loved because it has this approach to English that wasn't quite Japanese mangling of product names or catchphrases, but something close to that. Um, he found it very poetic and appropriate. So, and these lyrics, you can hear them... Uh, a straight line exists between me and the good things. I have found the line, and its direction is known to me. Absolute trust keeps me going in the right direction. So this stilted kind of uh, language for a song called The Good Thing, which is such a like bland and yeah. title. Um, but I want to get so to the funny. End. That makes so much sense. This is the part I love. Tina Very Mouth. So that is the good thing. I love that end part. That's yeah. uh, and her baseline is so good on that. Um, this I love is a, that song. This is a, that's a really good one. Um, and it sort of slipped under the radar to me all these years. And just uh, listening to the album over the past couple of weeks, it's become a favorite. Um, this is yeah. track four. This is warning sign, and this is definitely one that Brian uh, Old Sourpuss was like, "Sounds too good. Make it sound shittier." <laughs> Um, because if you listen to the song, it sounds like something Wrong. off the last track. <laughs> no, no, no. 
If you listen to the song, it sounds like something off of 77, but it's produced, you know, he put turns a lot of echo up, makes everything sound weird. Anyway, this is Warning Sign. Here we go. Echo on the drums. There you go. It's like Octoon Baby. Exa- this is exactly, yeah, that drum sound in Octoon Baby. definitely an interesting song the lyrics are can be interpreted a lot of different ways um he talks about how he has money now the 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 part that really sounds like the alien he's explaining his haircut at one point he's saying uh look at my hair i like the design yeah (laughs) which is a funny way of saying that but uh it's very fear of musicy it sounds like it could be like yeah not quite sure what it's about but uh uh a cool sounding song although i would you know there there is an alternate version that you can get on the bonus rarities and outtakes but it sounds just as weird i would love to hear just like a straightforward 77 mm-hmm. um version but uh that that is not available all right this is track uh five the girls want to be with the girls and this is sort of about love in a way let's hear it you think adam i mean i like the way it sounds it's not the you know i wouldn't put it up there as an example of great songwriting of david byrne mr burns uh interestingly enough i think on the tonight show uh cindy williams who played uh shirley on Uh and shirley she for some reason i read the story that she held up the record and pointed out this this uh the the title of this track and said the girls want to be with the girls 
and kind of laughed about it. Like it was weird, but also she was intrigued by it. Um, I don't know whether the band was on The Tonight Show or they must have been. Otherwise, why would she be holding up the the record? But I think that's an interesting show business story. Strange. Um, I Lacking context. I like two thirds of that song, I would say. Uh-huh. I, I love the beginning and the second part and then the third part loses me. All right. But this is this is, in my opinion, a stone cold classic and SCC. This is Found a Job. This oh, yeah. uh, ends side one of the record. Damn, Let's hear it. Found a Job. talk about the song until uh over it until it gets to the groove at the end which is just unstoppable so this is a song basically about a couple who are they they each have jobs and they're fighting uh when they're together at night about what's on tv and how there's nothing good on tv and um they they sort of realize that they're unhappy in their jobs and so they decide to start making their own tv shows which is the Judy's in the bedroom inventing situations. Bob is on the street today scouting up locations. They've enlisted all their family. They've enlisted all their friends. It helped save their relationship and made it work again, which is such a funny idea for a song like a couple who's decided to make their own TV show. Um, But uh, there's some lyrics at the end that says, so think about this little scene, apply it to your life. If your work isn't what you love, then something isn't right. Which I, I can't tell if Mr. Burns is, like, making fun of these, this couple or whether he liter- legitimately thinks this is a a lesson people need to learn. You know, quit your job if it's not making you happy. I don't know. It's I, I have a hard time se- really sensing what is sarcasm and what is not in this song. I don't know. I, I think, like a lot of Talking Heads stuff, it's just kind of... He just kind of sets up these weird parables and lets them just sort of lie there and lets you kind of make what you want of them. But he has a lot of judgment in a lot of his parables, you know, where uh-huh. he's sort of sneering at some of the people a lot of, a lot of times, especially early on when he's fresh out of art school and he's kind of young and just like, you know, he, he seems judgmental about things. And I can't tell whether he's judging the couple involved or whether, oh, here's the, here we go. 
This is so good. Someone should sample this for a song. It's such a good part. I, I, I One day when I was in college in acting school, my music teacher, my friend Jeremy, who's a great guy, we're still friends now, uh, he was on the Bang Bang TV show a couple of times. His husband was on a couple of times. Um, I I came into a classroom, I think, for a private tutorial with him, and he was just completing doing aerobics to this song. <laughs> and so wow. anytime I anytime I hear this, I imagine him dancing to it, which is like not such a bad memory to have when it comes to a song. It's a good aerobics song, actually. It really is. Um, this is also a great uh, stop making sense track. Oh, totally. Um, anyway, great song. Oh, by the way, we didn't talk about how the transition from the previous song, The Girls Want to Be with the Girls, into Found a Job is like an amazing sort of I don't musical remember transition. what that is. Here, let's just hear the end of The Girls Want to Be with the Girls and we'll hear the transition into this. It's sort of in the same uh, yeah. beat, like a dun 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 dun. Two, yeah, three, four. That's cool. Damn that! Yeah, it's cool. Um, all right, this is uh, side two, uh, or the middle of the CD or the playlist, however you're listening to it. This is artists only. So, found a job is the last song on side yeah. one, right? Yep. This is, uh, the lyrics to this were written by their friend from art school, uh, Wayne Zeev, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. He he actually gave them the, the their band name, Talking Heads. He suggested it. And so this is sort of like, the lyrics are, are some cliches about artists, basically in art school. Like you, you have him say, you can't see it till it's finished. I don't have to prove that I'm creative. Um, he's cleaning his brain, which I guess is a technique to like get rid of things out of your brain and just like connect yourself. It's sort of the don't think, uh, the UCB model. Anyway, what do you think of this song, Adam? I mean, it's fine. I feel like it's sort of maybe filler uh, a little bit. It's kind of a lesser song on the record for me. It's interesting. A lot of people think this is one of the major songs on the record. Really? And yeah, and I, I have always had a little bit of a hard time getting into it because of the melody uh, yeah it's 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 very kind of groove heavy and a lot of instrumental sections but i i've never really thought the melody is all that great no it's just it's not really hooky in any way and it's hooky album on the most part for the most part but check this out
<laughs> I, but a lot of people, I think people will be upset that we don't like it. But um, let's see. Okay, this is the next track. This is I'm Not In Love. Not the 10cc song. This is I'm Not In Love by Talking Heads. think the guitar riff is sort of a precursor to life during wartime this yeah another, totally this is another one that is kind of like the last song where i have a hard time getting into it but i appreciate it i i love it because of this groove and that riff and and everything um i think interesting lyrics that are examining a relationship uh sort of like an alien would but but for some reason i just i'm not into the melody yeah, I I like it sounds like it would be incredible live in 1978. But I agree that it's But hey, it's 2020. Life during wartime uh is an improvement on the same sort more of more like riff. light during wartime. <laughs> oh my god. Thanks, bro. Appreciate the laughs. Yeah. I'll take them where I can get them. Uh this is Stay Hungry. This is uh the ninth song on the record. This is a sex song, Adam. This is a lot like sex rap that we talked about on our uh, sister show. What is the difference between this and sex rap? He's being a little, he's disguising it more. This and sex rap? Because he's, the, the lyrics are all like, I think that we can signify our love now, meaning have sex. Oh girl, you can initiate an impulse of love. His boner. <laughs> stay hungry, stay hungry, stay hungry. Move a muscle. Make a motion. Pull it tighter. Double beaten, palpitation, stay hungry. Here's that rhythm again. Here's my shoulder blade. Here's the sound I made. 
He's talking about fucking, bro. Gross. Gross, Mr. Burns. We don't want to hear you fuck. This is what if the, is this what it sounds like when he brings the band when in people when have sex? <laughs> I guess I've never had sex before, other than listening to this song. Uh, do you like this? This I uh, do. Album? I like this song. I like this. I like the chorus of it. Stay yeah. hungry. Stay hungry. Um, all right. This is this is the big hit off the record. Pretty deep in the uh, in the album. This is track ten of eleven, and uh, this is a cover of an Al Green song, and. Uh, this is Take Me to the River. We, uh, we'll play it and we'll talk about it in the middle. same sort of year 1977 1978 four white guys came out with covers of this song i think fog really was first yeah so fog hat was uh, essentially so al green wrote this in the early 70s and put it on his record but they didn't put it out as a single instead they gave it to another uh singer on the label who was a soul singer as well um but I think the Al Green song is the classic version. And then Foghat was first, I think. And then Levon Helm from the band came out with it. And then I think Talking Heads was next. And this was a big hit. This was this went to number 23 on the charts. Which and for their second album is a pretty big deal. Pretty big deal. They were on SNL uh, playing it, which is a really funny appearance uh, for from, I think it's funny because for a long period of the song, there's a camera guy trying to crouch and get out of the shot, and he's in the shot the entire time just so he can get a shot of Chris Fartz's drums uh, from underneath the drum, which they cut to it. He's there for so long, like, I got the shot, I got the shot. They cut to it for a second. And then they cut away from it. And then he's just sitting there, lying there in the background of the performance the entire time. It's, That's it hilarious. I want to um, see that. But then uh, uh, Brian Ferry put out his version just a couple of months after Talking Heads. Really? Yeah. Like, And and I knew that Brian Ferry had put out his version 
And I guess I had always assumed that he was first and Talking Heads were sort of copying him, but uh, no, it was it was the reverse. No one, I don't think anyone was copying each other. It's just like very odd that four white guy fronted uh, combinations put out a cover of this song at the same time. Um, and Talking Heads was the successful one. It was kind of doing something with soul music. It was kind of almost a take on soul music. Like, Mr. Burns is obviously not singing it like a soul singer. He's singing it in his yelping, uh, a white guy way. And and if you watch the SNL performance, he's like very in it and very creepy while he's doing it. it so it's it's almost like a a commentary on soul music. When did, how old was the Al Green song at this point? I think "Take Me to the River" was seventy two. Let me look oh, okay. that so. up. It was uh, 74, so really four years old, but when they recorded it, three years old. Um, I can't find the SNL uh, version. Is it on YouTube or is it somewhere else? Yeah, it's on YouTube. It it doesn't necessarily say SNL on it, but the first video that comes up. Um, Anyway, big hit. What do you think, Adam? Yeah, it's great. I, I, I prefer the... Stop making sense version just because it's there's so much more energy to it and stuff. But yeah, that's great. I think I think we probably heard the stop making sense version first For sure. as well, and so we're used. We like I became used to that. But I think there. What's interesting about this version is it is definitely weird, and that's yes. the point. That's the point of it. Is hey, we're gonna do this soul cover and make it sound weird and make it sound nervous and and sketchy. Yeah. And that's what people were responding to when they first heard it of like, "Oh wow, this is this is odd." Yeah, it's definitely bizarre and then the stop making sense one is like widescreen fun and Yeah, uh, they actually because they have a lot of people of color in their band, they actually yeah. kind of do it a little more like a soul song, which is yeah. cool. Um, this is the last song on the record. This is called The Big Country, which uh, the title was taken from a Roxy Music song um, that was referring to Texas. But this is Mr. Burns's commentary on flyover states, essentially. This is The Big Country. Hmm. talk over it just a bit before we get to the chorus just because you hear it you hear the traditional instrumentation the sort of slide guitar and he's talking about all these this nice imagery he's like on a plane looking down and seeing the middle of the country and here's the punchline 
I wouldn't live there if you paid me. Yeah. <laughs> I couldn't live like that. No, Surrey. I couldn't do the things the way those people do. I couldn't live there if you paid me to. Essentially, like a big, uh, uh, pretty direct, kind of like duping people into, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like a punchline here, which is kind of funny. The song ends with him saying, like, basically making baby noises, goo goo ga ga ga, goo goo ga ga ga. Um, kind of a mean, uh, mean song. Yeah, I, I, I like but this really song. Pretty. But I feel like that chorus should have been more of a big soaring change from the rest of the song. Well, I, I think it's... And would have been if it was a later Talking Heads. If it's a later Talking Heads... See, this is the thing. This is the difference between this period Talking Heads and later Talking Heads. If this was on Little Creatures, for exactly. instance, he would have leaned into sincerity, at least, even if he's doing it at a remove. Because it sounds like a Little Creatures song. Yeah. But instead, he's doing it... Basically, he's doing, like, the rope-a-dope, and he's, he's luring you in, so... Yeah. You go, wow, this is nice and pretty, so he can go like, fuck you. <laughs> but you can see those same words in the chorus going big, soaring, going, beautiful, yeah. catchy. Here, how would you do it? Go. <laughs> if you paid me, oh. There you go. That's exactly, exactly right. But a pretty song. Yeah, it is. All right, Adam. There aren't a lot of... Uh, there are a lot of like alternate versions, but I don't think any of them hold a candle to the actual uh, versions that that came out. There is an interesting "Stay Hungry" that was they recorded for '77, I believe, that they didn't use. But uh, other than that, everything is kind of like shittier versions. Right. But uh, and no, and no B sides or anything like that. So more songs about building and food. Album number two. How do we feel about it, Adam? I mean, it's terrific. I think they the next record of theirs is where they really step up and become like a world-class uh band uh but these first two records are fantastic they're still figuring it out and then they become kind of world-class i think i i I mentioned it a little bit beforehand i've always preferred 77 um even though you could look at 77 and say oh wow it sounds too much like other stuff like television or whatever i just think the songwriting is I prefer the simplicity of the songwriting uh-huh. a little better, yeah, I get the that. directness of the songwriting. Um, but I, I do appreciate this record and I like listening to it, but I, I would say if I were putting on a Talking Heads album for enjoyment purposes, this is not one that I always went to when I was For the younger. purposes of enjoyment. Sure. <laughs> I sound like Mr. Burns. I'm going to put this on for the purposes of enjoyment. <laughs> it's the name of their new uh-huh. album. <laughs> um, all right. Well, that's going to do it for us. Um, Next time, we're going to be talking about the uh, album Fear of Music. Uh, You excited about that? I sure am. That was my favorite one for a long while. All right. Well, um, speaking of Little Creatures, let's uh, play something off Little Creatures to take us out that's a a little bit akin to that song. Um, This is Creatures of Love, and uh, I'm looking forward to the next episode. Absolutely. But until then, the one thing I will say is we hope that you found what you're looking for. Bye.
spread the word. When you get a fresh, hot McCrispy from McDonald's and you can feel the heat coming through the bag, don't try to wait till you get home. Always respect hot chicken. The McCrispy, only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.